Hello. Hey guys, welcome back to the No Approval Podcast with me, Pillar. On this podcast, I explore how social media is impacting our lives, how it's impacting culture and how it's impacting our careers. Before we get into it today, first up, I just wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who's been listening. We're a month in, so thanks for your support. I've been seeing the tags on Instagram, the mentions on Twitter, so thanks so much for that. Today we've got a fun episode lined up. I'm going to be joined by Yomi Adegiko. She is a journalist, best known for her work with The Guardian, with Vogue. Her articles are always like thought-provoking. They're always super relevant, really, really relatable. I really enjoy her work. And also, Yomi, along with her bestie, co-authored the book Slay in Your Lane. I feel like I'm not giving it its dues when I say co-authored a book. They started a whole movement because the girlies were really using the title Slay in Your Lane as their captions on Instagram. So you've got to give that to them. Apart from that, they also had books called Loud Black Girls. They've got a children's book called The Offline Diaries, which is out in April. And Yomi just announced as well that she is releasing her debut novel in 2023. That's right, she's coming for everything and we love to see it. Outside of that, like Yomi is always going to give you two things. She's a good vibes person and she's gonna serve a look okay like the outfits are really giving and you can't miss her with her iconic shaved head (laughs) i love it she's going to be joining me to talk about how her career as a journalist has been evolving in the age of social media we're also going to be getting into one of her articles about changing class identity because listen a lot of people are very much in denial and it's about time that we embraced it in 2022 and also we question whether the influencer industry is sustainable like is it here today or is it really gone tomorrow let's dial yummy in hey yummy welcome to the no approval podcast thanks for having me so for people wondering like how do i get yummy on this podcast i approached her when <laughs> at the nail shop i bumped into her at the nail shop and i had just read some of her articles on Vogue. So I always ask myself that thing as in like, when you meet someone that you recognize online, especially if they're visible, is the right thing to approach them or just to respect their privacy? But I thought, do you know what? Like I really resonated with your articles. So I really wanted to just let you know, I'm enjoying your work. You do some great work. Thank you. No, it was greatly appreciated. I was just surprised to have my mask on. So I was like, how did you? But it might have been because I have my Crocs on as well and they're quite distinctive. So I was like, maybe it's the Crocs or maybe it's the head shape. I've got a really small head. But I was just like, how did you know? (laughs) It's the hair because I think that especially in this area, there's not many black girls with a bold head. True. (laughs) It's not Shoreditch. It's very true. In (laughs) Croydon, you're not really getting that aesthetic. So yeah, that's, that's that's fair enough. So normally I do a no approval moment, but I want to like switch things up a little bit with you, spice it up. <laughs> so I want you to give me something or somebody that you're liking across social media and something you would like to block. Wow, that's a really good question. I'd say one thing I'm liking is Murad Morali's 
commentary. I know him and I really I found him basically through my sister, who's like a sentient Morali stand account. And she was just like, oh my God, this guy's commentary on things is so great. And then I saw him at an event and I did what you did. And I just was like, oh hey, like I, my sister <laughs> loves you. And then I get I got to know him through that and then like started watching his videos because he's just so funny and just like yeah, I love him a lot. He's hilarious. I love Murad. So I used to actually co-host a podcast on the BBC about reality TV. It's called The Reality. So we interviewed Murad a couple of times and he's always a good time. And he throws the best parties. He throws legendary, legendary scenes. It's something else, man. Movie, movie team. But yeah, no, he's he's great. So that's what I'm liking. Um, In terms of what's worth blocking... I would say, what is worth blocking right now? I mean, personally, I would say that, like, just too much time on social media as a concept mm. is worth blocking. Like, I realised post-lockdown, I'm not actually on social media that much. Because, like, and for me, social media is, like, even including, like, things like WhatsApp. Like, it's really occurred to me that I'm not online as much as I thought I was and that I spend a lot of my time on flight mode. And then I come on, like, to do my obligatory, like, photo dumps and, like, I have to post about this article and then I go. And I think now like lockdown is lifted and life's back and stuff like semi to some semblance of normal. It's made me realise like, how much I was relying on social media and being online during the pandemic. And now we're not exactly post-pandemic, but now life's kind of gone back to normal-ish, very big-ish. I'm just like, oh yeah, shit, I forgot. I don't like the internet like that, except Pinterest. I mean, I was just like, why am I? Now I'm back to like, being offline especially off Twitter and using Twitter I always say this as like an extension of like I use my Twitter like LinkedIn like I'm literally like here is my work goodbye and, I, and I'm really appreciating um doing that and yeah so blocking not social media altogether but an over-reliance on it so what's your screen time like if you say you're not on it much well that's a good question see I have like an Android <laughs> this is, I have I have a Google Pixel so we don't even have the <laughs> I don't know what our equivalent is um, for like the screen time app, but so I don't actually know, but I do have this app called um, App Blocker, in, mm. you know, inventively titled App Block. And it says, okay, I think it says that mine is like two hours 30 a day, which I think compared to most people is actually kind of okay, I think. I think that's good. I think that's about average. Yeah, because I think that works out to about maybe like eight to nine hours across the week. Yeah. Let me even have a. God, this is really confusing. I'm not gonna like like <laughs> it says on wow, okay. One day it said that it was 30 minutes. That's good. It said yeah, but then on Tuesday it said it was literally like three hours. And then on Wednesday it said it was four. And then on Thursday was today, it said it was 15. So yeah, it's it's really up and down as well, I think, because there's some days I'm completely not on it at all. And then there are other days where it's like if I'm having to post something then I tend to take that app off and unlock it and then just do like, um, you know, um, like make sure that like, I don't know, if I'm being paid to post something, for instance, I'm like keeping tabs on it in a way that I wouldn't say on like a random Monday and I'm not posting anything. So yeah, yeah it's very, my, my like that app, app block, like if you see, if I show you the chart, it's literally just like, up, like, and, up, down, and, up like, and down. Like, yeah, it's really up and down. Well, it's really interesting that you say that you mainly go on Twitter or go on Instagram to mainly post your work, because that's why I was really interested in having a chat with you, because I feel like what I wanted to really kind of get into is how you use 
Instagram and how you're using social media for your work? Because a lot of people, I feel like when we're looking at people on Instagram, like now you have a whole new kind of age of content creators, which before I think we were kind of referring to as influencers, but there's almost also, especially if you're working creatively, it's almost like it's part of your work to have to share it. How has social media kind of like played into your work and getting your work out there? Yeah, I'd say it's really changed over the years because I'd say when I was first starting out, like Twitter was absolutely crucial to my career. Like I had a lot of opinions and wrote a lot of threads and like would be annoyed about stuff a lot. And it's not like I'm not anymore, I still am, but it's just like I would spend a lot of time like dedicating like thoughts to threads and and, and writing what I thought like online all the time, specifically on Twitter. I barely used Instagram. I remember when I first started at Channel 4 News, my then boss was like, do you want me to, um, because I they verified us as journalists on Twitter and he was like, do you want me to verify you on Instagram? And I remember saying like, why would I want to be verified on Instagram? And I said like, no, <laughs> I remember being like, I don't need to be like, I don't use it like that. Obviously, when, you know, times changed, I was like, why did I say no to that? Because I was like, <laughs> I remember being like, what on earth? Because obviously back then I didn't, I just sort of was like, I don't need it because I don't use it like that. I use, I probably yeah. posted on Instagram once, maybe twice a year. I was, it was just like completely on a whim. But Twitter, I was on. And even then with Twitter, I used it definitely as like a space to kind of like, you know, vent, but also invent ideas you know, about topics and stuff but also almost like a diary. And I think that's how my Instagram was used at the beginning, where it was like, you know, this whole photo dump trend. It was like yeah. that. Like, I was just like, oh, I'm here, by the way. But I would now I go back, I scroll all the way back to the beginning of my Instagram. I'm like, there's so many holidays and so many, like, things I went on that I just did not document. Or I had loads of pictures, but it did not occur to me to put on Instagram because I didn't use it like that. And yeah. then with Twitter, it was like my every waking thought, I'd just be documenting on that website. So I was way more of a Twitter person. And as I said wasn't like a, you know, um, Pinterest, wasn't really on Tumblr like that. A little bit for like hairstyles and like piercing inspiration, but I wasn't really on Tumblr like that. But um, yeah, for work, like it was primarily Twitter and even social media generally, like I never had Bebo, I never had Pixo, like I never had MySpace. I was a very late adopter. I didn't really understand it. Like I was just like, if I want to tell somebody something, that's my friend, I'll just tell them. Like, I didn't understand yeah. why I'd like, make a broadcast, right? So I was like, I didn't really get Facebook till like, I think my first or second year at uni. So yeah, like I remember like for Twitter, it was very much like people would commission me off the back of like tweets because I'd write threads and then somebody from like the Huffington Post or the Independent would be like, hey, do you want to write about this? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. But then as time's gone on, I feel like, I mean, I'm so grateful to it as a platform in many ways for you know, very much creating my platform. And, you know, in many ways, I don't know if I'd be, dare I say I wouldn't be where I am without Twitter. Like, I honestly think maybe I could say that. That being said, I feel like as I got older, because I've probably, I've had multiple Twitter accounts. So even though if you look on my latest account, it probably, I think it's like 2013, but I was on there since maybe like 2010, 2011. So I've been on there for a long time. Um, seen all the <laughs> peaks and troughs and rise and falls of like various accounts. So I don't know, like I feel like when I was first on it, I was very much like, oh, I can't like, you know, I can't really thrive without like being on Twitter because I need mm. to like 
no one's going to read my pieces if I'm not on it, X, Y, Z. But then as time went on, I feel like I started to feel like I think probably slightly outside of the box anyway. And I'm very much residing like the gray area of debate. Like nothing's really black and white with me. I'm very open to new ideas. I'm very open to like hearing people out, but I'm not really a like go with the crowd opinion person. And it started to get to this point where I felt like I could tweet anything, like the most non-controversial opinion but potentially it's not an opinion everyone holds. It's like, I understand if you hold an opinion that's like super controversial, but it would just be more a point of difference that really isn't that deep at all. And then people would just take it like as such a, even if it's got nothing to do with them, it's like, oh, I like oranges. And then this person's like, well, as an apple lover, I feel, and it's like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with like apples. <laughs> I'm just stating my own personal preference. And I think it started to like, make me feel like I like to have my opinions and thoughts challenged. That's why I initially liked Twitter, but I felt like it started to make me lazy because it was like, I had my opinion, but then I'm like, we're all kind of waiting for like the Twitter veterans and titans and big names on it to say like what they think before anyone else can say what they think. Cause it's kind of like, if the timeline goes one way and you're on the other side, then, you know, the pin, I don't know, like may the odds be with you because it just felt very like, oh, if this person says this thing, then you're going to get quote tweeted by somebody and then it becomes this like, especially I guess with like blue tick Twitter and stuff. I don't know. I just, often I see people just regurgitating the same opinions and I wasn't even certain that they thought that or rather they thought it was safer to say they to thought say something. that. Right. Yeah. So I just stopped saying, I was just like, if you want to read my opinions, you'll read them in articles where I've got more than 280 characters to really flesh out my opinion. Um, I don't like groupthink. I like, as long as it's respectful, like, difference and respectful like um you know debate and I like having my opinions challenged but I don't like having my opinions like force fed to me through people that often I'm not even certain have done the reading on things themselves so I think like even when you look at Love Island I mean as someone who's been watching it from back in the day like it's mindless like it's fun it's stupid it's a microcosm of many of you know the worst parts of society and dating we get that but it's simultaneously like what a couple dozen singles in bikinis trying to move each other like it's not that deep and then now you look at the discourse and it's like and I, I as someone who takes reality TV very seriously I've always written about like the kind of more I guess cerebral elements of it and how you know they represent the representation of your life but sometimes when I look at like Love Island discourse now I'm like oh my god like it's just supposed to be fun it's supposed to be banter and now we're getting to this stage where it's like I don't know, like someone says one thing and it becomes like, I don't know, like a, a headline story because someone's opinion on one island does, doesn't like match everyone else's. So yeah, it just it just can get a little bit weird for lack of a better phrase on Twitter. So I think mm. I just started to use it as LinkedIn and I just was like, I'm just going to post my stories and go, <laughs> really. I do feel like almost the fear of cancellation is stopping the people whose work we fell in love with, is stopping them from expressing like their true selves on social media. So I just feel like there's a lot of projection. I think there's a lot of like, um, there's a purity thing where people, how do I put it? Like people are very afraid, I suppose, of even their own like, you know, inconsistencies and hypocrisies being pointed out. So therefore then kind of jump the gun to point the finger at other people to kind of show that like, actually I'm not as bad as that person, which is toxic. So yeah, I feel like, as you said, you don't see, especially because I, I'm talking to lots of my friends that like I came up with and we all came up on Twitter on the same time and on social media at the same time. And I'm speaking to them in person and they are completely different. Like they're, they're like, 
I don't even talk about this online because I know I'm going to get dragged. Like, do you know what I yeah. mean? It's like, yeah. like no one is presenting their real selves. And here you get people like me that just don't present themselves at all. <laughs> On Twitter, I'm just like, I am here to put out, like, except as Eurovision right. and, right. <laughs> but then I'm just putting out my opinion. But then on Instagram now, because I can just delete comments, I'm seeing people just pack their load and go to Instagram and be like, mm. I'm even being paid to be here. Like, I can do a pay partnership. I can do an Insta story and delete it. And, like, it goes after 24 hours, as opposed to Twitter, where you're like, you know what? I think I'd like some oat milk. And someone quote tweets you about the reason that oat milk And then it goes, the, the screenshot <laughs> happens, and then it's, it's game over. Next thing you but, know, exactly. But one thing, like, um, you said Instagram is where you like. How do you feel when you look back at the fact that you and Elizabeth created a cultural moment with Slay in Your Lane? Like, that became, not only was it a cultural moment, it's become people's captions, hashtags, everything. Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird because I feel like we just didn't expect it. And, you know, as you mentioned, like, with Instagram, like, we we actually got, like, the at Slay in Your Lane, like, handle. Because no one was using it. Like, it wasn't... I think because it's such a catchy phrase, people assume that, like, we'd heard it somewhere and we're like, oh, we're going to do that. We're going to call something Slay in Your Lane. But it's like, Elizabeth quite literally just said it one day in response to a picture of Solange Knowles. And I was like, I've never heard that. That's tea. And then when we went on Instagram and Twitter, it was like, oh, look, no one's, like, used the app before. And then once it became a thing, like, yeah, like, we would see it on captions. We, it became, like, a whole hashtag. Like, we were hashtagging saying your name for the book and then we'd click on the hashtag and it was just, like, you know hotties in america like posted up hashtag insane your lane under like a picture of them in like a nice outfit i'm like this is bizarre like this is so crazy but it was amazing and i think yeah saying your lane was very unapologetically uh instagram ready book like we even said like we want it to be coffee table ready we want it to look a particular way we want it to be instagrammable was the word that we use um in terms of title but also in terms of how it looked so it's still very surreal it's still you know mad like me and Elizabeth went to an event the other day and someone like recognized us and was like oh my god like your book has done this for me and we're just like this is so crazy because we just never expected it but at the same time it's amazing <laughs> it's, it's definitely amazing that's so great to hear because I bought the book like when it first came out I still now I hear people using that term it felt like the moment that really kind of catalyst your career I know that you were a journalist like a long time before that and um but now you're still journaling and sharing your different thoughts on different articles and I really want to get into two articles you wrote for Vogue so one of them being about your change in class identity and the fact that since you bought your house congratulations by the way on that <laughs> you've almost gone from is it right to say from working class to middle class I would say oh, it's so difficult because like I mean, you know what, let's say working class, but it's so, it's so difficult because, I mean, you might relate to this as well, because when you're, when you're like second generation, it's like my parents are educated, like my parents went to uni um, and my parents were doing professional jobs in Nigeria. And then eventually later on in their life did professional jobs here, but it was the lack of funds that made, so I've always identified with working class because I didn't have money. Like, do you know what I mean? So, but yeah. like ed- but I guess class is so, it's so difficult because class is such a component of things such as education, such as cultural stuff. But yeah, I would say I've always identified with working class because to me it felt silly to identify as middle class without the funds because I'm like, that's such a crucial part of it. Um, but yeah, I would absolutely say I identified as working class because yeah, like I guess financial um, trouble and struggle was such a defining part of my um, childhood. When I read your article, I felt like I was getting from you that there's almost like 
an internal identity crisis. Like, okay, I'm changing class here, but also there's almost a sense of guilt or shame attached to it. And I wanted to ask, like, why do you feel there's shame or guilt attached with going up the ranks, so to speak, in terms of class, but not in terms of career, especially within the Black community? Ooh, that's a really good question. I feel like it's because class in this country, certainly not America, America has a well-established Black middle class, but in this country is coded as white. And for a long time, aspiring to middle class identity um what meant aspiring to um whiteness which is something that um Simeon Brown actually Channel 4 journalist is going to be looking into I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about that but I know he's mm-hmm. doing some stuff around that it's going to be really interesting because now we as a black middle class we are not aspiring to whiteness and I think those connotations are slowly falling away but so much of like black identity in this country is tied into working class identity so I think it can just feel confusing and for me when it comes to the guilt element I wouldn't say I feel shame but primarily because I have like truly can categorically I've worked my absolute arse off to get to this point I've as I've said these I've been saving since I was 15 years old I've had the same mm. savings account I've literally put money aside every single month for as long as 15 years so I have no qualms about that but I guess I have qualms in terms of like I live in the same area that I grew up in I mean I grew up in West Croydon and I live in Thornton Heath now and being part I suppose of that wave of like potential like gentrification it feels weird and also like you have a sense of like survivor's guilt is not the term, but I have lots of friends and people in my life that I've grown up with that are absolutely as smart as me, that are as talented yeah. as me, if not more. And it comes down to luck because as much as I've worked very hard, like there are people that I know that also deserve to own their properties, to, you know, be like doing what they want to do. And it's just not, you know, I went to school with people that I, that I feel deserve that also and it didn't necessarily shape up the same way and yeah so sometimes you can feel a bit like weird and a bit like I don't know it's, it's a strange one especially as someone like me that like loves nice things let's not get twisted but it's simultaneously like you know I'm on my Jeremy Corbyn do you know what I mean like I'm about like social quality and I'm always like I can't remember what actor said it, but someone was like talking about this actor being a champagne socialist. And he was like, yeah, but at least I'm a socialist. And that's very much my response. I'm like, yeah, at least I'm a socialist. Like, your I'm, best life, but I'm also... trying to live my best life, but make sure like, you're for the people, to, right? Let everyone live their best life. That's my thing. So I think that's again, where the place of guilt comes from as well, because it's like, I truly do believe in like, like socialism and like people, like a just society that works for everybody. And it's difficult, I suppose, straddling that line where it can feel like there's such a massive chasm between the life that you were living, you're living now, the life with people that you know. It's just, yeah, it's a lot to think about. So yeah, and I think a lot more people are, a lot more Black British young people are entering that space, but there's a lot of denial because we are so, oh, so, so ingrained. Yeah, we're like, so oh, much much. Like, people that went to private school are fully like, that doesn't mean anything. And I'm like, it's a huge class signifier, but people just aren't comfortable with it. So yeah, it's a it's a sticky one, for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> it's a sticky yeah, one it definitely is a sticky one, especially, you know, like you said, Croydon. So it's like, I've lived in Mitcham, Croydon, Two Inn, all of the South yes. London. Tooting, that's where my nan's from. I love Tooting. Ah, you're right, I, South, so- South, South. But so expensive to buy in. And I remember yes. because Croydon is so, people don't realize Croydon is such a big place. And biggest I remember in the, London, I think. Yeah. Oh, I did actually yeah, know that. It's the biggest, yeah. 
And I remember it was the elections at my old workplace. And I was like, oh, my area's voted Tory again. And they're like, aren't you from Croydon? I was like, yeah. But they're yeah. like, is it Labour? I was like, there's different parts of Do you live Croydon. in South Croydon? Yeah, I live in South Croydon. Yes, okay. A couple of years ago. Okay, of course. Yeah, because because yeah, you're so right. Because I went to school. I went to the school called Riddlesdown, which is in Pearly. Ah, yeah, yeah. Like that's a complete. Like when I used to say my school was like this weird, like melting pot of class identity. It was so bizarre because you had like because it was Pearly, Selston. All those kids were like very middle class. But then when you got on the like four one two or four oh three, and you came to Croydon, it's like each stop like it would get blacker and blacker and blacker and more Asian, more and more Asian because yeah. all the white middle-class kids would get off in like Selston, Pearly. And then by the time you hit West Britain, it was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. This is, this is, this is where, this is where like the working class kids like get off and they're all the like minorities and stuff. And that was like the labor like part of Croydon. But yeah, like the Pearly kind of South ends is definitely like Tory. Yeah. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, it's, it's full on Tory. And I came from Mitcham, which is all Labour. So it's different when you move. But Croydon's Croydon, do you know what I mean? You get the best of both worlds. I love it here. Now you're no longer in denial about your changing class. How does that translate to what you share on Instagram? Because we're seeing a big uprising of like black girl luxury on Instagram. You're seeing black girls are starting to share the Hermes bags. They're starting to share the house transformations. I don't feel like I see the same sort of denial when it comes to sharing the luxury that comes with that. Yeah, exactly. And that's why to me, it's like, I've always just tried to be as, because to me, like I, so my Instagram is a weird one because I'm like, I've always been very private. I don't know, like, like I'm quite good at like straddling this boundary where it's like, it feels like I'm sharing a lot, but I'm, I'm actually not. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's things like, so for instance, even with my flat, I actually was like, I'm never ever going to share like my property. Like I'm never going to post it. I wasn't even going to post that I bought it. It was actually my friend, Otega, a Wagba, the author, that was like, love her books too. Your, oh, she's, she's everything. Like she's so <laughs> sick. And she honestly put me on because I was like, why? I literally said like, why would I post my house? Like, why? And she was like, girl, if you don't post it, then how's anyone going to send you anything? And I was like, who said they're going to send me anything? I was like, I, I didn't even occur to me. I was like, I don't think anyone's going to send me anything. And then I posted it and it was like, hey, do you want like this couch? And I was like, well, shit. Okay, there's an entire like industrial complex here that I wasn't even aware of in terms of like, not that I wasn't aware of, but I didn't think would be relevant to me in terms of like housing and interior design and like leaning into that and like, opportunities that come with that another element that I've never really shared is I'm big on bags like I'm a chronic saver and when it comes to like because I save so much I used to actually I don't as much anymore because I'm spending on renovation but I used to save so much I was addicted to saving then I'd always think of this like parable in the bible lapsed Christian or not I'd always be like oh my god there's this quick there's this parable in the bible about this man who like saves up I think it's like corn or something or hay and like a in like a shed or like a, I can't even remember the story but then he dies and obviously oh, he's got all this like um you know crop or something inside a like yeah. place and he does nothing with it and then he dies anytime I'd save I think of that parable and be like oh my god I don't spend any money and god forbid like what do I have to show for it then each time I got into that headset I'd always like be like fuck it let me buy a bag like that that would always be my mindset <laughs> I'd be like let me scramble and I just be like oh let me just let me just buy a bag the fashion like, babes will tell you that is an investment it's an inv- oh, I saw I've seen how the Chanel prices are climbing. I was like, I knew it, I knew I was on my mobile shit. But like, I like love bags, right? 
but I never, it's never like unboxing. I was like, I could have been in my unboxing bag. That could have been a whole vertical because I stay, <laughs> well, not so much now, but back in the day before pre-house, I was buying bags all the time. Well, not all the time, but anytime I had these like meltdowns about <laughs> whether, you know, whether um, I was using my money to like the best of its civility or whatever. It never occurred to me to like do these videos, being like, oh, here are these bags here, whatever. Not at all. I would just wear it with my outfit and strategically place it to ensure everybody can see the bag that's cost me like two months rent. And I'd be like, oh, here's my bag. But I'd never actually like post it separately. Um, but it's interesting because that's a whole thing. Like, oh, you know, look at this bag that I'm buying. Look at this, like um, these shoes, look at whatever. I feel like I've, I'm quite transparent in terms of, I didn't necessarily grow up with money. Um, yeah. All the money I've made is my own. I've worked really hard for it. So I'm very unapologetic about being like, yeah, I'm enjoying it and here's what I'm buying. You deserve. Thank you. And I think we all do. And I think that to me is why I'm so honest in terms of being like, and I can't stand here and cosplay as a working class person because I'm not representative of your average person. And especially being black as well, like it's very easy to kind of be able to speak over actual working class black people and be like, this is what our community needs. When in reality, it's like, I'm not representative of your average black not anymore. person. I'm not anymore. I might have been how many years ago when I was doing up EMA, but I'm 29 now. <laughs> and I'm a homeowner. Shout so, out EMA. You know, shout out EMA. And I'm like, you know what I mean? I'm not, on that. I'm, not like, I'm not on that. And it's a type of privilege that many of us aren't willing to be honest about because it would mean we wouldn't have the monopoly on certain conversations. Because if 100%. I acknowledge, right, if I'm honest and say, I'm not representative of your average like black girl living in Croydon, X, Y, Z. Then it means that other black women living in Croydon can now talk over me and say, you're privileged. And I'm willing to say that they can and they should. Because, for instance, Grenfell, it really made me uncomfortable, the conversations happened around Grenfell, which was so centred on, like, middle-class black people being the voices of a situation that obviously didn't just affect black people. It affected, you know, Asian people. It affected working class white people, but the biggest unifier amongst those people, aside from many of them being ethnic minorities, was that they were poor. And that yeah. was being spoken about. But then also people were able to be like, well, I'm black, so that could have been me. And I was like, well, no, because you wouldn't have lived in Grenfell because you work in a city and you're earning 70K a month. So you mm. wouldn't have lived in Grenfell. It's not, do you know what I mean? It's not as simple as that. It so could I have been bit, maybe like 10 or 15 right. years ago. I used to live in Canning Town. I used to live in a high right. I used to live in flats in Canning Town. But how many years ago was that? Do you know what I'm saying? And I feel like that's the thing. Like when I was growing up, that's where we lived, but not now. And I think that was very intellectually dishonest. And it stopped us from having real conversations, honestly, about like class in this country. And I feel like because white people like to weaponize the whole white working class boys narrative so much we then get defensive and feel like class is overstated but it's not because so many minorities in this country are working class I just think that it's not for me and for so many other like middle uh, even calling myself middle class was so weird but yeah I mean I went to, I went to work uni I've got a law degree <laughs> do you know what I mean so I have to just be honest like you do not work at the Guardian and be like oh yeah like it's just come on like but I feel like it meant that a lot of us like middle-class black people were then able to take up space in conversations that weren't ours. And this is why when people rampage against politics Twitter, even though I'm part of it, I, I will stay there being like, yeah, we're jarring actually. <laughs> because honestly, <laughs> sometimes we're just taking up space and I'm like, it's not everything that we must center ourselves on ourselves because if seven, 10, 15 years ago, you were in this position, that's one thing, but it's a very different world now. And if you've got money, yes, it's a form of privilege. And, you know, we have to, and educational, like, 
privilege, all these kind of privileges that we don't want to admit to because it means that we then can't, in the oppression Olympics competition, be at the front and centre. So 100% no longer relate to that. And actually, I do think the more kind of the uprising of black middle class people, the more that they realise that, I actually think the better and authentic stories we'll hear from current working class because they need to be given that space to have to tell the real stories you can't be telling a story or something that happened to you 15 years ago anymore it's a different time it's a different space exactly and I think exactly like 100% there's so many levels to it as well there's people like me that have like come into money and particular lifestyles recently and and that's like and you get these nouveau riche kind of like look at like rappers and like all these people that are blowing like in, the, in like the music scene and they're like very new to money. But then there's like a whole cohort of middle of black people that went to private school that have always grown up with money that have, you know, and those stories are relevant and different. And I think often we are just this big homogenous soup of black British that not everyone really is represented in and isn't necessarily accurate because black working class culture is the culture. And I'm very, in many ways, very grateful that that's a culture that I grew up with and I feel very set like me I, I was very central to like my upbringing and stuff but it means that I'm slightly more adjacent to it now and that's fine but then simultaneously am I adjacent to it because a lot of that like black British like working class culture the people that are at the center of it now technically financially are middle class do you know what I mean because a lot of those like musicians and even actors and stuff all these people they grew up in ends and now they've got money and that's part of the conversation we can't pretend that like yeah, everyone's disenfranchised in the same way they were 10, 15 years ago. 100%. And I actually think that Charlemagne the God probably says it best in his book where he talks about black privilege. Mm, I haven't read it, but I've heard it. It's so good. Yeah, he's so good. And I think that's what we're seeing. I thought Charlemagne was just a madman, but apparently he's really good. No, no, it's good. Like he's he's very smart. And he just, he does talk about like now we're in an age of, Black privilege, it's a thing. We're going up the ranks career-wise, also money-wise. And then this is how we you can still give back to the community, still be part of the conversation whilst also realising there is a lot of privilege there for your taking and embracing that. So it's a good read. Now, last question, because I know you've got to go. As a journalist who used social media at the start of their career, you've had several viral moments, even before you were an author. Um, do you ever feel the pressure to, you know, go with the times, especially with the rise of Gen Z, they're using TikToks, they're using Reels. Are you feeling the pressure to kind of adopt your strategy in terms of sharing your work and jumping on Reels, doing the dances? Right. (laughs) You know what? That's such a great question. Honestly, such a great question. Because one thing about me is, I really must say for all my flaws, is I absolutely I'm my own person and that's why I didn't get Facebook till I was like 18 because I remember everybody had Vivo everybody had these things and I could not understand it because I was like I truly did not see the value in any of those platforms and then that changed when I got slightly older and was like actually I do see the value in those platforms but that was me I drew that conclusion like no one was ever going to force me to get on Facebook no one's ever going to force me to get on Bebo or MySpace or any of those things and it means sometimes when people do their like reminiscent like oh like remember MySpace I'm like oh, I don't know like I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't using it do you know what I mean but like I am my own person and I'm really grateful for that because it means the only pressure I ever really feel for myself and like mm-hmm. reels child <laughs> like I was talking <laughs> about this to a friend today like I'm an auntie and I think it's like everyone knows that like I've been an auntie since I was in my early 20s I'm only 29 and like 
Are you yeah. an internal auntie? Because you're not looking like an external auntie. I'm not looking like an auntie. Thank you. We praise God. We praise God. We thank him for that. It's not cracking. I, I've, got, <laughs> I've got big auntie energy. Like I'm 29. I've been saying I was 30 since I was like 27, 28. And I've always had this. Like People always think I'm older than I am because I don't know. I've just got auntie energy in it. And it's like, for yeah. me, like, do you know what I mean? Like when it comes to TikTok, God bless them. Like the kids are all right. I'm happy for them. But that is not my, like, I'm like, the TikToks, yeah, like the ones I see that are funny, they're going to travel to me. Like in the same way my mum sees like certain things, like my mum watched Flip and Bleep Therapy because WhatsApp aunt sees wow. like sending her clips, right? Yeah, she no watched way. it. No way. She watched it and it found her. Right. She, we were talking about flipping Jamal and Deborah. Like she was literally like <laughs> on it. She was obsessed with Paul. Like it was a whole thing, but it found her because it was like her people were going to deliver it to her. To me, I'm like, TikTok, the TikToks that I need to see are going to find me on Instagram because that's where I live. Like the reels <laughs> that I need to see, like I'm never, I don't think, I mean, don't quote me because if the right price comes along, potentially I might have to read. A year from now, I might have to amend this. But I've been asked to do reels and I'm like, look, yeah, you guys don't even want me to do reels. It's not on my brand. Like, I'm not a big mover like that. Like, I'm one of these people, like, it's all mess in the streets and then sometimes in the Insta stories. But in the tweets and in the, like, on the grid, it's prestige. I'm not moving for anybody. Like, do you know what I mean? You're never going to see what I'm really like, which is just chaos. But I'm like, you're going to get that in real life. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to dance in a flipping, me. I'm, I'm not a human. And that's no disrespect to anyone, does it? But as I said, I'm an auntie. Like, I feel like that's energy for like, you know, the hip and the cool. I'm not on that. Do you know what I mean? So I'm a whole auntie in these streets. And I'm like, I can't really... I don't feel that pressure because I don't think it would suit me. And I think mm. people would be like, what is she doing? Because it'd be so obvious that like, I'd be watching my engagement just dive and go back up. And I can honestly say to God, I don't care. Because it's not what pays my bills. Like, I don't care. It's like a perk. And I'm so grateful to Emma Watson, actually, because it was Emma Watson that shared some article of mine. And that's why I, I was like, rah, I've got the swipe up function now. Off the one, her and Dua Lipa really put me on with. Wow. Those girls, it's only because I interviewed Dua Lipa. That is I, so interesting. I shit you not. I that knew. was how I got, because Twitter, I've always had followers, but Insta, I wasn't even on it like that. But then that's why I'm like, I'm so grateful. It's a random, like, income stream. But it's not, yeah. I'm an author. I'm a journalist. So, I'm like, I don't have to rely on that. So it means that when all these things change and it's like, oh, TikTok will be gone tomorrow. There'll be something else called Flip Flop. I still won't be. Do you know what I mean? I won't be on it. No, like, I know you've got a children's book coming out and the kids are on, on TikTok. Right, so the kids are on TikTok. When I see you on your promo. Oh my God, that's the problem. But see, my real thing with the kids book is that now I'm just having to rebrand in terms of stop being, like, because I told you, I'm not messy on my grid, but sometimes... After a couple of wines on my Insta stories, I can go a bit left. No, we so love now- it because it's, it's human. We've got to be human. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, but I don't want their parents. I don't want the kids' parents to be like, this is his book I'm trying to buy. I've got to start doing respectability politics, at least for the next year. No, no shots. Be- no shots. Taking no shots. No me. shots. Honestly, because the past few weeks. No mention of hangovers. Right. I've got a, re- a quick rebrand, but then I'll be back to mess. Like, yeah. But no, in answer to your question, which is a great question, I honestly don't feel the pressure because I'm just like, I feel like I'm very, very, very lucky, very blessed. Um, And what's the word? Like, I'm just very happy to be in a position where, like, I'm able to use a platform like Instagram and monetize it. But I have no illusions. Like, this shit is not going to last. The bubble bursts because 
Vine was a big thing at one point. It disappeared. Mm. Social media, as we know it, is not going to exist in this way forever. It is ludicrous that, and I say this as a recipient and someone who's so blessed to be able to do stuff like that, but it's mad that you could be given like what free free chair because you're because because you got followers like it's the whole com- industrial complex is not sustainable um and i'm aware but of that but that is what celebrities once were so i think See, that's t that's a great point because i thought this the fact you said that i swear to god because i've been thinking about this for a long time i was like yummy you need to stop saying like oh it's not gonna last because Back in the day, people would go to the Grammys and they'd get these goodie bags and they'd be have like fucking Cartier and like fucking like, you know what I mean? Like AP watches in these bags and just for them being famous. But I still think the reason I don't think it will last forever like this is because I'm not famous. But you have influence in a different way. It's the same way like an actor, some actors wanted to act and the fame was a byproduct of that. You wanted to write and your influence is a byproduct of that. So I think in that sense, it's sustainable because for people like me, I would relate more maybe to somebody who writes than to somebody who acts. Do you know what I mean? Uh, this is all facts. Everything you're saying is genuinely all facts and genuinely stuff I've thought before. Because I was like, oh, but maybe, but do you know what I think the difference is? I think the difference is quantity. Because I don't ah, think, good point, good do you know point. what I mean? Because I point. think the way influence is measured right now is a mess and it's unsustainable. And I mean, I'd be happy for this shit to continue because it's like, child, if it means I can keep getting- <laughs> Get the can, house done, honey, another house. You know what I mean? If it means I can keep getting my, my, my freebies, child, then let it, let it, long may it rain. But re- the reality is, the reason I don't care about like shares and likes and that kind of stuff is because I know where my influence lies and I know it's not really the internet like that. Like I know it lies in my writing, but yeah. I'm like, you can literally have a million followers, like quite literally have a million followers and struggle to shift anything because Facts. those followers came Facts. from like, I got my followers because of flipping Emma Watson. That being said, I always had followers on Twitter from nothing because people followed my writing. Do you get what I'm yeah. saying? So I know that I've never had an identity crisis in terms of, oh, but you can really, if Kanye West randomly, like he did years ago and he followed that random white boy from like Shropshire and that boy just got bare followers. Like we look at it, we go, oh, this person. And this is why obviously people start getting into like the little nitty gritty about engagement and like shares and saves and all that kind of stuff. But even then I'm like, just because like, there's so many people I follow because I'm like, oh, this, she's paying. He's paying. Mm. I like the way he dresses, but they can't mm. tell me anything. They ask me no, to no, buy no. something. I'm like, I don't care what you think. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm not going to spend my money because of this person. Do you get what I'm saying? So that's why I'm like, I totally hear you 100%. I just think that the way we calculate it is not right. And why people think like, oh, when people talk about micro-influencers, it's a girl, Twiggy Jallo. Beautiful girl. Jallo. Um, Stunner at British Vogue I always say this is your influencer's influencer because to Mm -hmm. me I actually I actually be pre and like okay she said this is tea and I actually am like this is probably tea because Twiggy said it I don't think that having followers or being big necessarily means that you have that or like being like very visible means you have that so that's what I mean in terms of I think the quantity at the moment Brands are just flinging it, like, okay, throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks and give it 10, 15 years. I think it's going to be a very different landscape because I don't think it's sustainable. And also age, that's a conversation for another podcast of another time. But age as well, like, I'm loving the whole older influencer thing and, like, the fact that, like, my mum's always like, I need to train to be an influencer because she's always like, why why are you getting my mum's hilarious? She's always like, ah, 
Because she, she was like, how did you get these tickets? She was like, but then I'm always like, mum, that's not just, in, that's like my journalism as well. But she doesn't believe me. But like, there are older influences, right? But there's so much of it is tied to like, you're hot, you're young, you're supple, you are not. You right. look young huh? as well. You look young, right? You look exactly. young. You're 40, but you look young. Right, exactly. Because that's the thing. It's like, I'm so interested to see how it's going to, because you do get like, you know, most of the people I follow are like in their mid to late thirties. Because I've always been like, oh, older women. I love to be inspired in that way. But like, I am just interested because I feel like it's probably a bit of a triangle. I'd be interested to see. Like, I feel like it's probably a lot of young, young girls getting into influencing, and I wonder how that's going to look in like 10, 15 10 years, years time, time, where you're not maybe trying to wear a bikini, and you're not maybe trying. I'm. I feel like we haven't looked at the long term, so I'm genuinely interested to see how it's going to pan out. But for me, I'm just coming to collect what I can because. <laughs> girl because it's a blessing and I'm not complaining but I'm just like let me whilst whilst it's here child let me let me get my name (laughs) and you know what we love to see it but thank you so much Yomi where can everyone find you on Instagram if they're not following you they should be yes they definitely should be keep me my finery it's y-o-m-i.a-d-e-g-o-k-e Yomi on Instagram and then on Twitter it's just Yomi one word. Oh amazing thank you Yomi I hope that you actually do explore some of those things you said in your articles because I'll be looking out for that because it's so many points were made Oh thank you so what much what you said I'll, see, I'll try you know I'll try okay. Thank you No Bye. worries Bye And that brings us to the end of another episode Guys, if you have anyone that you know is struggling a little bit with the changing class identity, then please share this with them. Maybe it will help them like embrace or at least allow others to have the conversations that need to be had. If you are enjoying our conversations, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And yeah, guys, I shall see you next week for another episode. Bye.